Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text today is taken from the reading we just heard in the Gospel of Luke. You may be seated. And we begin with the word of prayer. Almighty Father, we give you great thanks for the abundant blessings that you have showered upon us, Lord, both spiritually and materially. But Lord, today we pray that you would teach us what it means to be faithful with that which you have given. Show us how to trust you and to love one another. And now grant us your Holy Spirit that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah the prophet tells us God's thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. Which means the kingdom of heaven is very different and operates in a very different manner than the kingdoms of this world. God's judgment, God's word is very different from our value system. It may surprise you to find out that God's values are very different from yours. He does not actually think like a 21st century upper middle class American. That may surprise you to learn such things, but it's true. God's values, though it's not really proper to talk about God's values because what he says is true, it is reality. What God says very often shatters our values and rips out of our hands these idols which we hold so tightly. He sees and says things very differently than we do in our world. Just think about this. This, this sort of thinking is all over the scripture. Holy Spirit once prompted St. Paul to write it this way. God shows what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are so that no human might boast in the presence of God. Or think about the hymn that Mary sang after she learned of, of the coming of Jesus. We call it the Magnificat, where Mary sings these wonderful words. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent empty away. Or Jesus really puts a point on it, as we heard in our reading from last week when he said this. What is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Again, this is, this is a hard teaching for us to hear. It, it can threaten us. It, it may threaten our way of life. It may threaten, again, those idols which we hold so tightly in our hands. Let's, let's get a concrete example of what Jesus is talking about here today. Jesus actually tells us a story, and there is some debate here among Bible scholars whether or not what we heard this morning is a story of real life or it's a parable. Nonetheless, Jesus tells this story to sort of teach us a lesson about how God sees things very differently from the way we see things. Now, he's telling this story to a group of Pharisees. Pharisees, as you will recall, are the religious elite of Jesus' day, the, uh, the holier-than-thou sort of folks. And we learned last week in our reading from the Gospel that these Pharisees were a group of people who loved money. And they loved to show off their money. After all, what's the good of having money if you can't flaunt it a little bit in front of everyone else? But they actually saw this sort of thing as a kind of spiritual activity. After all, as Rachel said, very good children's message this morning. As Rachel said in the children's message this morning, Listen, 
they thought that having money and wealth was a sign of God's favor. That if you had things, if you had uh, a place in society, if you had wealth, this was a sign that God was favoring you. You were doing God's will. God was with you. You were winning. But of course, that meant that the flip side was also true. That if you were poor, it was a sign of God's disfavor. It was a curse. To be poor was to be cursed and despised and punished by God. God blesses the deserving with wealth and the undeserving with poverty. That is at least the way the Pharisees thought. And let's not fool ourselves this morning into thinking that we are any different. That we think a whole lot differently than these Pharisees. But God does. What we exalt in this world, wealth, money, status, is an abomination in the eyes of God, says Jesus. So he tells a story to show us how God sees things differently than us. The story goes like this. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. So we have this contrast here. Uh, the rich man and Lazarus. Now notice here uh, what the rich man does. He feasted sumptuously. It's probably worth noting that this doesn't just mean he had a lot of good food on his table. Feasting was a big deal in the ancient world. You only feasted at particular times of the year. You would feast at a wedding celebration and you would feast in the great holy festivals. In other words, feasting took place as a form of worship to honor God, to give thanks to God for the things that he had given you. But not this guy. He feasted all the time. Every night he's having a party. Every night he's throwing massive amounts of food on the table. You know that you've got that much food. You've got plenty to throw away. And he's giving none of it to the poor who are outside of his doors. He is feasting all the time, not in faith, but in gluttony, in greed, and in lovelessness. In fact, he probably wanted to make sure only the right kinds of people came to his parties and not the wrong kinds of people. So he had a gate with the lock built to keep the poor out. He wasn't really interested in welcoming in, you know, the poor, the tired, and the hungry. And so Lazarus had sat outside begging while this guy probably turned up the music so he wouldn't have to listen to the man's cries nor listen to the howling dogs who were licking his wounds. And make no mistake, dogs were not cute pets back then. This would, in essence, be like saying the rats were continually crawling all over. Lazarus is in a bad way. The rich man feasts sumptuously. Now, we look at this, we listen to this setup, and we're kind of like, well, that guy's horrible. What a terrible person. Who would do that? And yet, let me ask you a question. Whose life do you want? The rich man's life or Lazarus's life? Now, I'm sure you'll have some reason why you're going to say Lazarus, but you know that's not true. You don't work all day long to have a life like Lazarus. And maybe I should ask the question this way. Whose life are you watching on TV? You're, you're not following uh, the story of Lazarus and the dogs. You're watching and coveting the life of the rich man. This is what we want. This is what we watch on television. This is our, these are our celebrities. This is who we exalt and gossip about at work. The rich man, you know. What's his name? Well, did you notice Jesus doesn't actually give us that? He doesn't give us the name of the rich man. 
But he does give us the name of the man in poverty. He, he tells us the guy's name. He gives him a name. He calls him Lazarus. In fact, Jesus not only gives him a name in the story, he gives him so much more. Listen, the account goes on. Now, they both died. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and was buried and in Hades. You can hear echoes of Mary's song here. The hungry he has filled with good things, and the rich he has sent empty away. But look at how the hungry is filled. Jesus knows his name. He calls him Lazarus. He brings him to the bosom of Abraham in the hands of the angels. Jesus is demonstrating for us here what God loves, who God loves, how God works. Jesus is showing us how he sees this man who is in poverty and names him, gives him a home, gives him for eternity the company of the saints and the angels. He gives this man all the treasures of heaven because this is how Jesus works. He works very differently than we do in our world. He sees the poor, the needy, the guilty, the hungry, those who are shamed in the eyes of the world. Jesus looks on them with compassion. He knows the number of hairs on their heads. He sheds his blood and dies so that they might live. This is how Jesus treats the poor, needy, dying sinners in our world. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you are here not necessarily in poverty of wealth, though perhaps you are here in poverty of wealth, wondering if God remembers you. Maybe you are here poor in spirit, looking back at the sins in your life, looking back on the things that you are guilty for and ashamed of, and wondering if anybody could ever accept you again, wondering if God could ever welcome someone like you again. Maybe this is you. You need to understand that Jesus knows your name. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows your struggles and he promises you everlasting life. He knows your sins and he's choosing to forget them and welcome you into his presence with love and mercy and grace. That's how Jesus treats you. You who may feel lonely and despised by the world, you are the beloved of Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus does for this rich man in the story. I'm sorry, for, the, for, for Lazarus in the story. That's not the treatment of the rich man. The rich man who was high and exalted in the world, had his own, you know, reality TV show and all of this, and in his greed and gluttony kept everything he had to himself, kept all of the blessings he had to himself and would not share with those in need. He was cast out in the story by Jesus. But now I want you to notice something, and we need to be very clear on this. He was not cast out because he was rich. It is not a sin to be rich. But we must be honest about things that we heard in all of our readings this morning. When we do have wealth, it comes with a lot of different temptations. Having wealth tempts us to love this world more than trust Christ. But having wealth causes us, or I should say tempts us, to want to hoard things rather than share things with those in need. This man had no faith. He didn't give thanks to God for what he had. He threw his own self-righteous party. And this man had no love. He built a gate to keep out those in need who God would have him help. He had no faith and no love. Before he had no need of Jesus. I mean, you have all this stuff. Who needs Jesus when you've got everything else you could possibly imagine? And so, when it was time for him to finally need Jesus, he who had rejected Jesus his whole life found it was too late. Jesus' story goes on. 
being in torment, the rich man lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and to cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in the flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. The rich man, who was once high and exalted above poor Lazarus, who kept his gate locked to maintain the separation between him and Lazarus, now gets in eternity what he wanted in life, separation from Lazarus forever. Only now there's no need for a gate because the chasm is too long and deep for there to be any possibility of crossing. But now the rich man, in, in realizing this, is starting to recognize his plight. But notice how the rich man doesn't change a whole lot. He continues to bark orders. He won't even talk to Lazarus. But he does tell Abraham, you go, you tell Lazarus to put his finger in the water and to dip it there so that he could drop some water on my tongue and give me relief. Still giving orders. But Abraham informs him that now it is too late. He says, in essence, look, you ignored Lazarus with the good that was on your table while he was in need. You left him to be dealt with by God, and God is dealing with him graciously and wonderfully so. But now you who have rejected God and despised the ones God placed in your life, you who despise the one God loves, you now must face the anguish. Realize, dear rich man, that there was a time before to open the gate to show generosity, to show love. But now there is a chasm, and the fellowship you've rejected is beyond a possibility. It is a very terrifying story. You're feeling uncomfortable. I think Jesus is meeting his goal. This is not quite very, this is not very comforting. And yet, we are terrified, but in the story, no one is more terrified than the rich man. He then said, I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Remarkable. Now here's the man in despair and yet begging and yet still giving orders to Abraham and Lazarus. He begs Abraham to send Lazarus back from the tomb to go back to his brothers and warn them of what is to come if they don't repent. But Abraham tells him that God has already given his brothers everything they need to know what they ought to do. He has given them Moses and the prophets. You and I would just shorthand that and say the Old Testament. He says, look, they've got They've got everything they need. What would happen if they were to go to the Scriptures? What would they find in those Scriptures? What would happen if they would go to the, uh, the, the synagogue and listen to the preaching of Moses and the prophets? What would they hear? Well, what they would hear is of a God whose thoughts are not their thoughts and whose ways are not their ways 
whose kingdom of heaven operates in a very different manner than the kingdoms of this world. They would hear of a God whose judgments are quite different from our own value system. For they would hear of a God who is filled with grace and mercy. They would hear of a God who gives. They would hear of a God who loves those who are poor and despised in this world and gives them the treasures of heaven. They would hear of a God who looks upon the wretched sinners of this world and gives his son to die on the cross to forgive all of their sins. Yes, even the undeserving sinners of this world, because as it turns out, we all are those undeserving sinners. Who looks on the lonely and gives them the company of the church, gives them the company of the saints and the angels for all of eternity, who looks upon you this morning who are tired and weary and lonely and wondering if the whole world is turned against you, full of guilt and shame, and looks at you and says, I have given you everything. I love you. I give you all my love, for my son has died for you. What's more, listen to Moses and the prophets and listen to him, for he is risen from the grave for you. Because of him I have made you my own. Were they to listen to Moses and the prophets, were they to listen to the one who is risen from the dead, they would hear of a God whose kingdom operates in love and grace and mercy. Just as it has operated for you. They would also read of their responsibility then to show such love to others. And it forces us to ask the question, why then do we exalt and envy and emulate the rich man, instead of receiving the mercy of Christ? Why do we exalt, envy, and emulate the rich man and covet what he has while Lazarus is in need? For you guys, God has showered you and I with his favor. He has given us all good things. He is gracious and merciful to you. And so perhaps today it is a good day to be reminded that you don't need to hold on to the things of this world to give you comfort. You can let go of your wealth and give to those in need. And for those reasons you give as to why you will not do such things, it is perhaps a good day to repent. To be told once again why you can do such things. For Jesus holds on to you with a hand that has been pierced so that he might give you all the treasures of heaven. Amen. We pray. Heavenly Father, have mercy on us. Lord, you have blessed us with so many good things. First and foremost, you have blessed us with your Son, Jesus Christ, who has forgiven our sins and in baptism promised us the treasures of heaven. Lord, you know us by name and the numbers of hairs on our head. But Lord, we also pray today that you would teach us to repent. Show us those around us who are in need who need your love, who need your mercy, your forgiveness, who need our wealth, who need our help. Lord, give us open hands that we might share those things that you have given to us. We ask all this in Jesus' most precious name.